Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Greetings. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good night. Good day. On today's show, we have another Welshman. Well, actually, technically he's not, but he's got a Welsh accent. Aye, from the valleys in Wales, boy That's my Welsh accent. Yeah, I need to spend more time there and get better at it. So today it's John Dale. You might have seen him post on Facebook occasionally. He's got a nice portfolio of about 10 properties. Standard buy to let in South Wales that he's been patient with, that he's been safe with. He hasn't gone all out and crazy and bought every single you know property that comes to him. He's been very selective and also selective in de-risking his portfolio. He also built on land. Uh, which, you know, if, if you've looked at land in Wales, a lot of the time you have to buy the land for minus money for it to stack up. But obviously there are some areas where properties are going for prices that are similar to, say, the Midlands or Manchester. And of course, when you've got prices like that and you've got, you know, build costs in Wales, which are a lot cheaper, then, well, there's a fair bit of money to be made. So without further ado, here is John. John, welcome to the Tesh Talks podcast. Hi Tesh, how are you doing? I am really well. I'm excited to get you on. I think you're the second Welshman who's been on the podcast, so I need to get more on. Um, so I'm really interested today to talk about you, what you've been Tesh, up to. Yeah? I'm English. Are you, what? I'm born in Leeds. <laughs> you, oh, you, you, you lied to me with your accent. You fooled me. Oh, I, no. I, I'm living in Wales since 2004, so oh. I, I'd get residency to play rugby for him. <laughs> Oh no! Okay, well, the, the second person with a Welsh accent to <laughs> to be on the show. Let's say that, right? Um, and you've always been very helpful to me. You know, I am not Welsh. I don't live in Wales, but I invest there. So, anytime I've had a question, you know, particularly about areas that you focus on, you've always been like, "Boom, this is this," or you know, "Speak to my painter, do this, do that." So I've been really appreciative of that. And I thought you're actually doing some pretty cool stuff. So let's let's get you on the show. So before we get into what you're doing now, you know. Homes Under the Hammer, all the other little cool bits you're doing. What were you doing before you got into property? Um, so my background's the motor trade. Um, I run car garages as dealer principals, sales managers um, all around Leeds. Um, then moved down to South Wales with my job to run a few Ford garages. And then got into property. Wow. But what kind of got you from the motor trade into property? Was it a book? Was it a program? Um. A very weird story, which I'll share and I'll try and make it concise because <laughs> um, it's a very long story. Um, so when I when I moved down here, I always said I was going to get more into property after watching Homes Under the Hammer, Sarah Beanie on TV. It's just something I really wanted to do. Off the back of that, um, unfortunately, my father passed away um, at a young age. He was only 55 um, and I got left a very small pot of, well, I, quite a large pot of money at that time which was £20,000 um, and I didn't really know what to do with it. Probably two or three months after my father passed we went to see a ghost night in Margam Castle where we got married 
um, and, a, and a medium came up to me and said, I've got a message for you. Um, started telling me a little bit about my dad and the background. And bear in mind, I don't believe in ghosts and mediums and all of this. So at the time, still a little bit raw, but the two words they actually said to me was, what are you doing? You move down to Wales to do something and you're not doing it. You need to follow and do what you want to do. Um, and the next day I quit my job and went and bought a house. Wow. Just like that. Just like that. I quit my job, <laughs> bought a house, um, and got into property for my first one back in 2005. Wow. And where did you buy that for and how much was it, if you remember? Um, yeah. Um, obviously, you always remember your first one. Um, so I, I bought it in a place called Clidic. Um I paid £75,000 for it. Um, made a big mistake on it, but we spent £30,000 on a refurb. Um, and funny enough, I sold it beginning of this year for 120 and been rented out ever since in, in between doing the refurb and selling it wow okay and Clidac is that near Swansea yeah so just just on the outskirts of Swansea okay. just off the M4 yeah I think I've been through it in my many adventures okay so then you know when you when you bought it you were planning on renting it out um no planning on selling it um was was the idea to give me more cash um, I had, it was a mess. So all outside it needed hacking off and doing brand new roofs, um, new timbers, all the inside of the property needed hacking off, new kitchen, new bathrooms, damp everywhere. Um, so not a small project for a newbie, um, a lesson learned on that one. And I had a quote come in that's a, a property person would come in and do the whole thing for me for 25 grand. Um, I did it myself and thought I could do it for about 17, 18 with, with my experience because I knew everything about property at that time um, and went and spent £30,000 £30, doing it. Ouch. Okay. And then, you know, after you had this experience, did you, were you kind of more enthusiastic and thought, oh, that was really fun. Let me do this again. Or were you thinking, oh, do I want to do this again? Um, no, enthusiastic, but obviously because of my mistake, I'd left a little bit of money in. Um, so it was kind of, I, I needed to regroup and didn't really know what to do, obviously not having a job. Um, so during that time we remortgaged and speaking to a mortgage broker, um, I realized what he was charging me, what he was earning from the sale, from the insurances and things. Um, so decided to become a mortgage broker, oh, which okay. I thought would be easier than selling cars. <laughs> and how did that go uh, yeah really well we um started probably 2006 as a mortgage broker by 2000 and midway through 2007 i launched my own company um where we grew to 36 mortgage brokers all over the uk um so we were one of in the down crisis when everyone was leaving um we were one of the biggest mortgage brokers in the uk um writing a lot of business I did not know that about you. Interesting. So, hence, hence my background understanding finance probably more than most property investors. Ah, and are you still a like licensed registered broker today? Like, could you do your own stuff? Yeah, I'm still licensed. I don't practice. Um, I own an IFA firm, so I own a firm in the background that does pensions, investments, mortgages, and things, sitting alongside the property investment. Ah, so then, so how long did you? Do, so so as you were a mortgage broker, were you still kind of investing from what you earned or were you just purely brokering? Um, probably brokering for probably two years. 
Um, and then I bought another another house um, in Leeds, where I was from. Um, and then off the back of that, then with my business pattern now in 2017, um, we decided to walk away from the IFA firm and go full-time property investing. And how was it going full-time? Because that's kind of a, I mean, you already obviously self-employed and working for yourself, but was there a big shift into the property world for people who were trying to maybe considering it at the moment? Um Yes, and the, we and because I'd had my business and I'm still on a salary, um, so we still pay ourselves a wage from that business. It makes it easy to move the transition because I know everyone says, "Don't quit your job, go and do this, go and do that." My advice would be, "Don't quit your job. Get your finances in a row first, so you can get the mortgages, you can get the better rates, you can get everything, and then grow from grow slowly, r- rather than listen to all the big hype of quit your job tomorrow." Yeah, I think that, that's sensible advice. I think I've I've sort of noticed the same thing as well. Obviously, I've employed for a long time, so it's kind of just a natural transition. But it's like, yeah, get your finances in order because if you know if you're not doing rent to rent or rent to SA, things can take a while. Conveyancing can take three months, for example, right? So you've definitely got to have that correct. And then when you went full time with your business partner, what was your chosen strategy then? Um, so we were gonna grow a little portfolio of bike to lets. Um, do a new build so with, within a year, um, which I believe gives you a lot more capital growth, um, a lot more cash within the business, um, and then just do a few little flips along the side. Okay, and has and so that was in 2017, right? Yes. So now we're in 2019. Has that happened as you as you expected? Um, yeah, probably slower to start with. Um, as you say, you don't realise how long conveyancing takes. You don't realise how long a purchase can take. Um, how long planning can take when when something's wrong with the house or you need to do something you you don't realize that a little delay could snowball into two three four weeks and sometimes months um so it was learning how to manage what you've got on at the time so you've got a deal going through you've got one pending while that's happening you know where your next deal's coming from um i suppose since since we started we've grown a nice portfolio now um around neath the Neath area, we've successfully did our new build and exit from that. We've got a plot plot of land on at the moment with seven bungalows uh, that we're building. And we've got another plot of land, literally we're about to purchase now for another five bungalows. And we just about to complete on our first, I would say commercial, commercial conversion, but in a true sense, it's not because it's a commercial building with space above it that can easily be turned into flats. So it's not a big total conversion. Okay. But it's to get into that kind of space. Yeah. So let's talk. So how many properties do you have in the portfolio at the moment? Um, about 10. Okay. And then, and you said, well, have you been doing flips alongside building this? Yes. How many flips do you think you've done then? Five. Okay. And these are all in South Wales, right? Yes. All in South Wales. So when it comes to... You know, building a portfolio. I guess. I guess. Let's talk about South Wales in particular. Are you pulling out a lot of your money on every deal? Um, initially, no. Uh, when we first started, um, I, I'd say no. We we left money in, um, and that was that was a learning curve. On we tried having a project manager in place. We tried paying a 
and what I mean by a project manager is we tried to pay like a carpenter that was going to be there all the time as a project manager as well to help us out. Mm-hmm. We then tried subcontracting to a full project manager. We then tried doing all the work ourselves mm. um, on each house. So my partner Gavin did one and I did one. Um, we tried to do whatever we could do ourselves, tiling, painting, decorating. We did ourselves and never again. <laughs> and so you've obviously learned from that how you want to grow things and shape your business. But when it comes to... I guess there's so many questions here, but when, so let's start with finding deals. So also you're investing in a few areas, particularly around Neath. How are you finding deals? Um, at the moment, quite hard. Um, so it's, it's a lot of time, a lot of invested time. Um, so obviously you've got your normal right move Zoopla on the market. Um, keep looking at the estate agents and seeing what they offer you. Um, we're about to launch into direct to vendor with some leaflet firing, although I'm not 100% convinced that's the best way to spend your money. Mm-hmm. Um, An auction, um, as of January so far, I think we've bought one, two, four in auction. Wow. I know you love those auctions. I remember we were speaking about them. Interesting. And I mean, with auction properties, um, speaking from experience of Safer, like the Midlands, things go for way over guide it's it's hilarious sometimes to watch what happens but going to one welsh auction i actually found that things were going kind of respectably at what they were kind of worth are you finding the same thing i i think it depends um so last year we probably bought nothing at auction because everything was going far greater than what we wanted to pay for um after that I'd say this year now we're struggling to find with estate agents because the market's really condensed. The amount of houses available has really condensed down. Um, so what we're finding is a lot, obviously there's a lot of investors out there. So we find the things that are auctioned that are geared at a very low value of 30, 40, 50,000 pounds seem to be going a lot more than you think. Anything over 50,000 pounds seems to be left alone. So our, our niche at this auction at the moment has been anywhere between fifty and sixty thousand pounds. We seem to be getting there or thereabouts on our target. Interesting. Is that potentially because like investors maybe from out of Wales are saying, "Oh my God, houses for this much, buy, buy, buy." Um, potentially, I think there's there's a lot of, and I don't use the word lightly, but wannabe property investors out there that have got twenty five, thirty, forty grand mm. available to them. Um, and they're using that to buy a property that, that they think's a good purchase because it's the money that they've got. Um, yeah. where we're not necessarily would be the best thing to do. Mm. And you know, South Wales is a big place. There's lots of towns, villages. There's like a couple of cities, I guess. Lots of valleys. Lo- loads of different, I guess, areas to invest in. So you've got kind of a big sandbox to go play in. What you know? How did you decide? where to invest and i guess this is also general general advice for anyone in any area um we stayed local it, it was as simple as that um i i'm based in a town called neath and my business partner is based in a town called Clenethley. so literally draw a circle around us within traveling distance of 20 minutes half an hour um as, as long as we can get there within half an hour um we'll buy it we have looked further afield um on the deals we've seen the, the deal hasn't been enough for us to buy it. 
So it's not to say we would stick within that remit. We would venture out for the right deal. But with, within that area, there's a lot of chimney pots and, and we seem to be finding the houses that, that we need. Interesting. And what is your criteria for a, a buy to let? Um, maximum. So we, 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 trend, we tend to stay away, as, as you know, as we've, we've had this conversation privately, um, from the lower end of the, what well, I say, the lower end of the market, where, yes, you're going to get a better yield, uh, but your tenant might not be the best tenant it's not in the most affluent area. So when you come to your exit strategy, the only person that's going to be buying that house is another landlord. We tend to try and stick to an area that's your first time buyer market. So end values around here, probably a hundred to 110 grand. Um, and that seems to work for us. And how do you know it's a first time buyer market? Are you speaking to agents or? Um, yeah, at the moment, we, well, on our flips is, is the perfect example. We're, we're selling, we, we sold our first flip within three days. Wow. And this is in South Wales? Yes. Um, and we, we've not had one flip on the market longer than two weeks without having the offer. That's that's pretty good because, you know, the, the ones I'm looking at or the agents I've spoken to in areas are saying, yeah, it's going to take four weeks plus. Um, so that's really, really interesting. And then how much are you, so if you're flipping it for 100, 110, how much are you aiming to buy it at? Um, it depends on the work. So we, we, we reverse engineer it. So if we, we, and we make sure we don't overvalue, um, I think that's one property investors nightmares when, when they're valuing a house, they all automatically presume that the one on the street down the road sold for 110. So because I'm putting a new bathroom in, because I'm putting a new kitchen in, because I'm doing all this work, my house is suddenly worth 125. That's not necessarily the case. Um, unless it's something different, like you put a driveway in or you add in a conservatory, you, you, you're adding that value to the house. So we, we'd value it at the current market value on the street. So 110, we'd work back then on the spend needed, um, the time invested in that and, and how much we're going to make. Um, our average flips down here, I'd say we're making between 15 and 25 grand per flip. Nice. I mean, that's pretty good considering, you know, what you're purchasing and selling them for. That's quite a big percentage of that price. So if you told me you bought a 400 grand house and that's how much you made, I'd say, okay, maybe that's a lot of work for that. But because you're buying it for smaller amounts, that's, that, that's a pretty good deal. Wow. Okay. And then, you know, was that your strategy from the beginning in terms of you said, when we do flips, we're going to go for the first time buyer's market? Um, no, it, it was more, they were the houses that were affordable to us um, with the cash that we had available. Um, so you, using our own money to purchase, it was like, this is the budget we've got. If if, we, if we've if we got £100,000, we can buy one house or we can buy two. If we've got £200,000, do we buy four houses? And renovate them or do we buy one or two houses and and the idea was we'd, we'd rather do a little bit more work but do a few more of them to decrease our risk yeah and you know de-risking is an important thing in in property investment i mean do you as well as what you just said do you do other things to actively de-risk your portfolio and investments um in 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 what way so in the sense that you said yeah we're going to buy more to kind of de-risk our investments instead of putting all our money into one you know when you're doing your calculations do you really really undervalue everything like kind of what are there little things that you do that people who are new to property may not do we just don't massage our figures 
Um, so we now know what a bathroom cost is. We now know what the kitchen cost is. Um, you've got to remember that you've then doing the skirting boards, you're doing the architrave on doors. Um, it's, it's the little things that add up that most people forget. Yeah. So be very detail oriented, I guess. Yeah. So it's, it's have, having that plan, doing the costings, make, making sure everything and the fine details there. Do your due diligence on the area. Ask a couple of estate agents if you don't know the area. What's what's the market like for selling at the moment? Are we going to sell? What what do you think we'd get for it? And when when the estate agent tells you 140 grand, <laughs> is 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 that? And I, I'm speaking from experience now. Own room we've just sold. Is ask the question. Why do you think 140 grand then? Mm. And the answer the answer I got on selling a terrace was, oh well, we just sold a detached one down the road for that. <laughs> yeah, but mine's a mid terrace. Oh, but yours is really nice. Okay, but the mid terrace down the road just sold for 115. So why why do you think mine's worth a lot more than that? And sometimes when they can't answer, you then realise that they're overpricing you just to try and get your business. So you, you can't base your maths on what everyone says. You have to be able to prove what they're saying. That's a very good. That's a very good bit of advice. I haven't sold a house yet, but when I ask them, oh, what do you think this would sell for? And they say something, I'm always thinking, hmm, no, because, you know, like you just said, I know what has actually sold. So that's a really powerful tool for anyone listening. No more than the estate, and you should anyway, no more than them by sold and selling data. And yeah, put them to the test. I like that. So you, know, you built this portfolio up to 10. Now, a lot of people... So, you know, buy-to-lets are great, right? They're kind of less risky than HMOs, less hassle but they bring in a lot less cash flow. So what may, what has stopped you getting a HMO or say a block of flats or something else? I'm looking to build this portfolio to, to be a, I'm going to say that use the word passive, which is what people kind of understand, but investing in property is never passive. You always get that phone call that the drain's blocked, the plumber's gone, this hasn't worked, this has stopped. But I think on buy to lets it's less passive than doing HMOs, than doing serviced accommodation. And I know people can say, oh, you can buy a system, you can outsource it, you can do this. That's just not me. Um, I think buy to let's are here to stay. My question mark would be against HMOs and serviced accommodation and all, all the new hype around them. Is Are they, are they oversaturated? I, mm. I don't know. Okay. That's interesting. And, you know, for people who are maybe looking at South Wales, it was obviously a very big place, but from these kind of buy-to-lets, how much are they netting a month in profit? And say that again, Tej, you, you cut out then a little bit. So in terms of, so people who are you know considering South Wales, and obviously it's a, it's a big place, so, um, you know, this could apply to any of the towns in it. But in your experience, what kind of net profit cash flow should people expect from a property in South Wales? From from a single buy to let? Yeah, from a single. Well, what should they kind of conservatively expect? Um, after paying for mortgage and everything, two fifty three. It, it's it's a big. I suppose our from my experience is is probably the easiest example is between two fifty and three hundred pound a property. Yeah, after, after paying for everything, and and with that, you know, how much cash are you leaving in? Yeah, cur- currently back then, um, when we first started out, ten grand, um, may- maybe more on some. I'd say nowadays, leaving in nothing to a maximum of five grand. 
So we we will not buy a property now for for our buy to let prop if we can't exit leaving less than five thousand pound in. I like that because I think some people would say, "Oh, you're only netting two fifty to three hundred. You know, in the north and whatever, we net more." But potentially, what what you could say, John, is like you said, we're leaving in nothing, two grand, five grand. So your return on cash employed is way bigger than other places because you're leaving in such a small amount. So I, you may not get as much capital. You know, let's let's be really honest about it. But you're getting such a big chunk of like return on cash left in, right? Yeah, and one thing I have noticed is everyone's always said, oh, South Wales has no capital appreciation. Um, the first few houses we bought, as an example, um, we've had it valued when we first bought it two years ago at 175. We've noticed on the same street now they're selling for 185 to 190. Ah. So, so I'd say house prices in South Wales are slowly going up as well. So although we, we don't, use capital appreciation as we're going to get that it's, it's just a bonus that we, we seem to be seeing at the moment as well mm, that's very very interesting okay and, and what area is that house in at 175 um that's in britain ferry oh which, which you know quite well uh, i do i've got a property there so hopefully that has the same <laughs> same levels of appreciation and that's quite interesting to to see a house worth that much in the same town where mine's worth 80 and got for 50 so it's very interesting and this is a note for everyone britain ferry is small like i believe i've walked from one end to the other and it hasn't taken me a long time at all and to hear you say that number and then to compare to mine at 80 and to kind of know the area i'm thinking wow prices fluctuate so much so closely to each other and obviously depending on what the house is so for everyone listening when you're doing comparables that John's mentioned, be very careful, like he said, that you're not comparing a detached to a terrace or something in, you know, the Mayfair of an area versus the, you know, I don't know, the the Bronx of an area, for example, because that, that's really interesting to hear that number, that is. So when you started building your portfolio, were you using your own cash? Um, to start with, yes. Um, so the, there wasn't very much leverage. It was our own cash in remortgage and go again okay um, how has that evolved to where you are now um we're using a little bit more leverage um which is kind of weird because we've got more money um <laughs> so I, I i find it rather strange and, and coming from the financial background that we do you you think we'd use leverage to start with however i'm a big believer in being very careful around leverage and understand the cost of that leverage before you do it um, as as an example, on some of the houses we bought, um, if we'd have done a bridge, and yes, so let's say we were exiting it with no money left in, if we'd have done a bridge and the time it took us to do that property may have cost us an extra four, five, six grand just because of the financing costs. So therefore, using your own cash to exit with no money left in, um, and I suppose, as you put it, to have an infinite return then, on your investment for me was more beneficial than leveraging and have it done quicker and and building my portfolio on a very highly leveraged highly geared scenario like like you see people doing all the time online and then not having a very solid foundation of a portfolio so we, we do it we did it very slowly very nicely and i suppose now we're learning more of the refurb costs and we understand the nature of what, what that's going to cost. We now know when to leverage and when not to leverage. 
Yeah. Okay. And then on that, I want to ask you about refurbs in a second, but on that note, do you use like investors money? Do you JV? Do you angel? Do people angel into you? Um, we've got four people trying to at the moment. Um, we haven't asked for it. Um, we've got a few people that we work closely with. Um, I think, you know, Ross, my roofer anyway, um, that he recommended to. Um, so we did a little joint venture with him. Um, not, not so much from a monetary point of view, but on his time wise, um, on a house we we bought in, um, Clenethley. and that worked quite well. We've, we've got two or three, um, people that have approached us now asking us, can we invest with you? Can we do a JV? Can we do a 50, 50 and, and all these wonderful things, um, which we're looking at. But again, I think it's got to be right for everybody. And I, I don't just want to take somebody's money for the sake of it. Um, I think the deal's got to be right. And I think there's too many people out there ad- advertising deals that are oh, come and do a JV with me. And I personally wouldn't buy the deal for myself, let alone do it with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And I think if you're not going to put your own money into a deal and you want to use somebody else's to JV, you've got to ask yourself why. E- either you have no funds to be able to do it, which is fine, do the JV, or actually you personally wouldn't buy that yourself but you're quite happy to use somebody else's money to do it. That to me is wrong. If if you would do the deal yourself, then you shouldn't be doing the deal at all. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think that also, you know, echoes another similar bit of advice, which is when it comes to, you know, people offering you JVs, people offering you sourcing deals, do your own due diligence because you could trust them. They could be the greatest source in the world, but you know, they're not going to be liable if you haven't done the DD and verified a deal. So, you know, if you don't, necessarily know an area and I think this is how I sort of got introduced to you John I was sort of like I don't know Wales can someone help me look at this deal or look at something I had I think you were one of the people maybe who who was like yeah I'll have a look at it and then and and here we are today and all it took for you was like two minutes because you know the area you know what the prices are but for me it's like oh okay I've got to do all this research all this stuff on right move you just knew it so I guess it's also you know use the power of your network and your friends and your relationships when you're, you know, looking at these deals in new areas, right? So before you mentioned, you know, now you know the cost of refurbs. This is a topic that especially new investors can get hung up on quite easily. Now, when you walk into a property now, is it a case of you walk in, you look around and you walk out there and you say, yep, that's that's 12 grand. Is it that sort of level now? Um, Yes, but we don't do that. Um, so we have a sheet that we take with us to every house um, that's listed everything that's gone wrong on previous houses. <laughs> and and a, it's just a very generic, simple spreadsheet, tick box exercise. So what's the roof like? What's the gutters like? What's the faces like? What's the doors like from the outside? Um, what's the garden like? What's the path like? What's the drains like? Are they visible? Can you see them? And then going inside, it's the big things like the electrics, the walls, the plaster. Is there any cracks? Um, what's the kitchen like? Does it need to be changed? What's the bathroom like? So we, we list all of them. Uh, we take a lot of pictures while we're going around. It's back to the office, um, and it's good old-fashioned spreadsheet time. Um, we literally write it all down. We, we know what our trades charge us for previous jobs because we saved them all. So it's right, okay, well, we, we paid this for this. We paid that for that. Um, we work it all out so we we know our costs quite well Hmm. and would you say that's really important for investors to do or do you think they can sort of put a finger in the air and and sort of roughly guess it 
Um, I think you can always guess it. Um, but when you guess it, you, you forget the little things like the carpets or the gripper rod or the skirtings um, or you, the little bit of damp in the corner that you thought was going to cost you £500 to repair suddenly cost you £2,500 to repair because you, you, you're hacking off the rest of the room or the, the floor needs lifting or something else. So I, I think it's just about being careful. Yeah. And have you ever been stung by that sort of thing before? Like an underestimation that ended up being a lot more expensive? Um, yes. Um, and I, I suppose one of the best stories we've got is never check a roof in the dark. Um, so we, we bought a house. Um, when I think it was our second or third property we bought. Um, we had a little survey done um, and the survey said, please check the roof. Um, so we took a our old roof around um, who could only do it in the dark. So we went around with a flashlight and had a look. He went upstairs and said, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's going to cost you 500 quid to fix. Brilliant. We completed on the sale of the house. Um, when we sent our guy to actually have a look, we needed a full new roof, which added 5,000 pounds onto the price of the, our refurb costs. Okay. So that's 500 versus five grand. <laughs> that's yes. Wow. Okay, so like it's just like buying a car. Don't do it in the dark because you're not no. going to see. <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. So, yeah, I think when people guess, there's, there's stories like that which will you know maybe encourage people to do the spreadsheet way that, that you've done it. And actually, I don't know if, if you know this way of doing it as well, but I create a Google uh, form or like survey, which is basically what your sheet is, tick boxes and places to write notes on my phone I do it and it basically auto fills straight into a spreadsheet which I can then edit on the back end and say this is how much I've offered this is how much money left in blah 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 and it kind of forms part of a bigger spreadsheet so maybe something for anyone listening you know if you want it to be if you don't have paper check out google forms going straight into a spreadsheet because I yeah I find it so so useful um so now you mentioned land before so when I see land in wales when I look at a lot of it and speak to people, it often is uneconomical to do because the land costs a certain amount, building a house costs a certain amount, and then they don't sell for much more than what it costs to build. So you're actually in a loss. Now, I could be looking in the valleys where, you know, it is kind of a different price, but how have you found working with land in Wales in general? Um, well, as I say, we've only done, we did one um, new build for, for us, mathematically, it worked out very well, the best deal we've ever done. Um, it, it could have quite easily paid both myself and my partner for probably two years um, in, in terms of wages, um, hence why we, we want to do more of them. Um, and again, I think the key is there, due diligence. What What is the final price of the house going to be worth? Okay, What will it cost to fix? What can you buy the land for? And if it doesn't stack explain to the seller of the land why it doesn't stack and and offer an alternative okay and how did you find that piece of land that you built on um so the first piece of land um was referred to us by someone we knew it was on the market for 65 i believe and we paid 35 for it <laughs> wow that's uh that's definitely bmv isn't it uh, and again on the on the less on the lot the plot of land we, we that's going through now so for obvious reasons, I'm not going to say the prices yet because we, we're waiting for the signatures on it. Um, but that that was going through at, at more or less double what we paid for it again. And how are you getting it for half price? Um, offering. 
and hopefully someone someone it's, it's that same old thing isn't it you 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 ask enough people you you offer the price um we tend not to lowball as well um there's a lot of training about offer three offers go go in at this and then go in at this and go in at this and then offer so and so and some pence um i i find it all very old fashioned um and very 1960s way of selling you you will have this you will do this um i think the modern day now estate agents are a bit more cleverer than what people give them credit for and they, they've seen it all before so we, we just literally go in and say hi guys this is who we are this is what we do this is what we pay for the land please don't phone me back and tell me that it's a negotiation it's this is that it's not that this is what we're willing to offer this is our final price he either says yet yeah, they either say yes or no if they say no, please tell them that our offer will stand if they want to sell it again in a couple of months. Um, but our offer won't go up. Um, what what do they want to do? And sometimes we justify it. Um, I think you put something online about a letter and, and I said, we, we don't justify our offer. It, it is literally, that's our offer based on a refurb cost of this. That's what do you want to do? Yeah. And how have you found agents respond to this? Are they kind of like, cool, we like this, we'll, we'll process yeah, it? Yeah, well, they, they, they either love it or hate it. Um, I, I'm a big believer in agents are there to sell houses. Um, I know some people think they're not, they're, they're anti-sales, but they, they get paid for selling houses. So at the, at the end of the day, they want to sell it. Um, sometimes they've got an awkward conversation with a vendor. If, if they've told that vendor it's worth £100,000 and you're offering £50,000, They've got to try and explain to them why they told that it was worth £100,000, but now really they should accept £50,000. So I think you've got to see it from both sides of the coin. Um, so I think sometimes just being honest and fair is, is the best way and, and being genuine. Look, this, this is all I can offer because of this. What, what do you want to do? Yeah, I like that. Just putting all the cards on the table and saying... This is who I am. We're not going to go back and forth. Uh, if they can accept it, they can accept it. If they can't, then well, we'll you know speak in the future. And you know, some of those deals that you say, yeah, you know, the offers on the table, they can they can come back to you right, and be a really good deal. Um, oh, definitely. So, what you what did you build on that land? Was it just a normal house? Yeah, it's just um, four bedroom, three bathroom house. And so before that, you hadn't built anything. You were just you know doing refurbs. You know, obviously some more you know, took more effort than others. How did you go from refurbing by to lets to building from, you know, dirt and grass to, you know, into a house? Um, very carefully um, with, and with some big learning curves. So we, we decided again, we weren't going to JV, we weren't going to borrow the money, we weren't going to do bridging, we weren't going to do development finance um, due to the fact we didn't know how long it would take us because we'd never done one. Um, and again, borrowing money and overrunning the time frame is when it costs people a lot of money. Um, so we, we built from scratch. We employed a site manager that was very experienced and built seven houses locally to where we were buying themselves. Um, so we, we employed them on a full-time basis on a salary um, to talk us through it and to help us and to guide us. So I suppose in property terms, a mentor. Um but not really a mentor because they were just paid to do, they were our employee paid to do a job, but we learned a lot of their experience. Ah. 
And what are some of the key learnings that you know people were people maybe don't know who are in that stage you were at? They've they've got buy to let, maybe got some HMOs, you know, done the kind of existing property bit. What are some of the lessons that you can impart to them who who want to build like you have? Don't argue with the planning you lose. Um, <laughs> was was the biggest one. Um, try 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 not try to agree with what they want, and you find it a lot easier. Um, Perfect. We we wanted to build a house in a certain position um, to allow for a bigger back garden. We were adamant that's what we wanted to do. They they were saying no, we want you to keep in line with the street scene. Um, we were because some houses further down were further forward, but where we were building, there was some further back. Um, so we probably snowballed for two to three months trying to get what we wanted. In the end, we just agreed with them. Um, so actually, I had to save myself two months by by actually thinking, Do you know what. Is it really worth moving my house two meters forward to have two meter bigger back garden? In the in the grand scheme of things, pick your fights. Um, keep an eye on the pennies, because you'll be surprised how many some people phone you and say, "Oh, I need a pack of screws. I need a pack of screws." And you're like, "Well, you just had five. Oh, well, we can't find them. It's like, well, go and find them, please, because it's it's the little things that add up on site when you're doing a small self build." Um, and, and control your costings, control your suppliers, and, and make sure you know what people are ordering on your account. If we, we had a cash account um, or a credit account with with a couple of suppliers, and, and we literally banned people from ordering on them because we'd get an invoice on a Friday, and we wouldn't really know that someone had ordered it. Although it was for us, and it was a genuine cost, so they were just trying to help us in a way. Um, they're not trying to take have any money off of us or, or buy plasterboard for another site or anything it was just we need to understand our costings and where we are so it's like right anything can you please order through us just just control the team that's working with you yeah that makes sense have a have a tight control on the cost because yeah they will they will stack up especially if you know like you said it's one house you have a sort of you haven't got six others in the same row that could you know one might be more expensive to build than the other and it the gdv kind of encompasses it all you've got one house right so that's that's really good advice and when you built this what were your potential exits um sell sell and sell um we we, we always had the option to to rent it out um we'd have probably got most of our money back if we had um but not with a very good yield or, or profit margin um, so again, we'd probably still be making the same amount of money that we make on our, on our cheaper buy to lets, mm-hmm. um, still the two fifty three hundred, maybe, maybe a little bit more mark. So th- th- the plan was always to sell it. Yeah. Um, but we sold it before it was finished. So, oh. um, again, we, we advertised it before it was sold. Um, and it was actually someone passing on the street that, that spoke to one of the guys on site and said, can I have a look? Um, the person on site actually showed them round and they made us an offer. wow so you didn't even have to be there and you got an offer i love that and then you know building a house obviously there's no fixed cost there's no sort of every house costs this much to build but out of interest how much did it cost to build this four bed um in total 180 okay and it's i assume it's quite large and spacious um yeah it's on our website if you check um it's the one rest of our so you, you can see pictures on there. Ah, uh, yes. Site. I've been looking at that. I'll link this in the show notes so everyone can have a look at this, actually, because it does look it does look very nice, actually. Very big kitchen, very open kind of lounge at the back. Okay. And, you know, when it came to the finish of it, did you, 
you know, it's done to quite a nice standard here. Did you, you know, was it something you spent a little bit more on to get a, a better end value or was it just standard? I'd say a little bit more. Um, but again, it, it was con- controlling the things you, you can always run off. Um, I suppose the perfect example is the kitchen. Um, I know for the kitchen costs around three and a half thousand pounds. Um, we were originally quoted like five, between five and five and a half. Um, for some reason, we had to fit AEG appliances and Smeg appliances and, and all these up-to-date names that, that everybody wants. Um, I was like, really? Because Whirlpool's a, a good make in my eyes um, <laughs> and saved me £2,000. Um, and, and actually came with a year extra warranty on the products than what AEG did. So it was kind of, you you don't always need to go to the big brands and the big names it just has to be very nice and sensible mm, i like that and then you know when you bought the land did you have to take out like surveys to make sure there was no risk of subsidence or contamination or anything like that yeah you there, there was to be fair there was there was one already done um because when we bought it, it it had already been approved for planning um the planning had lapsed um and there'd been a site survey and there'd been a land um contamination report done as well so we kind of knew, we knew what we were getting into, but we just had to apply for the planning again. Ah, okay. Amazing. And, you know, what are you looking to do next in property? What's on the horizon? Um, so fin- finish the new builds that we've got now. Um, and I, I want to go more into the new build site. We are we have been looking at the modular homes and, and things like that. I, I still don't think we're where we need to be yet for the technology to, to do it as much as the hype you see on the internet at the moment. Um, I think there's, a again, from the financial background, and I'm sure this will be quite controversial out there, that there's loads of lenders that lend now on, on these modular homes that are imported from Germany and, and all these other places. Um, actually, there's not. There's two main lenders. They're all Lloyds Banking Group. So al- although everyone goes, yeah, there's loads of lenders, actually, technically, they all belong to the same kind of banking groups. So if, if they suddenly decide to pull their funding or change, you could be building a lot of houses with not a big exit. Um, if you're trying to sell the houses on and suddenly the people you want to buy these houses can't get a mortgage with that banking group, what do you then do? You, you then cut your market down to every single lender out there. So at the moment, we're sticking to timber frame um, and we just want to go and do bigger and bigger sites. Amazing. And, you know, if you had to say in I don't know, in one sentence the answer to this question, what would you say? What has property given you or allowed you to do? Mm. A, a lot of things, but mostly enjoy myself. I, I love what I do. Um, it gives me the freedom, which is a bit of a cliche, um, <laughs> to, to, to do what I want to do, the, the time to spend with, with my children, um, as you know, I pick my kids up from school most nights. Mm-hmm. Um, I drop them off most mornings, um, which is which is quite a nice thing for a dad to do. You don't normally see that. Yeah. Um, and just enjoy life, and and have more have a have a better quality of life. Um, and bear in mind, I'm coming from a background where I was working six, seven days a week, traveling three, four hours in a car, starting at seven, eight o'clock in the morning, getting home at eight, nine o'clock at night, to now actually turning up on site, making sure everything's running. If I want to go home, I can go home. Yeah. Um, 
but you find I don't want to go home. I actually enjoy what I'm doing. <laughs> so when, when I'm on my laptop at 10, 11 o'clock at night or on Facebook, that to me is not work anymore. It's, it's just part of me and, and I enjoy it. Amazing. And you know, you kind of briefly spoke about it before when you said it's quite tough to find houses that fit your criteria. And, and this is a very broad question, so answer it kind of as you like. But what are your thoughts on the market, the property market in your area? Um, very short on stock. Um, everything's selling really quickly. So it's definitely a seller's market out there. Um, definitely a lot more first-time buyers. So the houses that we as investors would normally buy, they're on the market for £70,000, £80,000, and you can get for £60,000. Spend a little bit of work and they're worth a hundred. The first time buyers are there off offering the full asking price. So it's it's more time and persistence and just keep looking till you find the deal that you want and not massage the figures just because you need a deal. Yeah. That's that's the biggest one. Do you find that you also come up against like new and more and more investors in South Wales because of the attractive entry prices? Like yourself. <laughs> no, Wales is rubbish. You don't ever want to invest in Wales, ever, ever, ever. Yes, everyone, don't it's, come to Wales, it's, honestly. It's, it's really bad. It's um, no, I, I think there's a lot of stock to go around. Um, I don't think anyone's my competition. I, I do what I... And that, that's not in a bad or a good way or me being arrogant. That's just, I do what I do. I keep myself to myself. Um, we, we'll, we'll keep on, no matter how many people come across us. Uh, people can come across to us and, and buy a lot if prices go up all it means is that the end value goes up anyway so it's, it's a catch 22 if, if everything's happens so you just, you just got to roll with it and, and keep going yeah absolutely solid and is there a resource or platform or technology or app or just something that you can't live without um we use everything that, that's open to us um so Obviously, right move Zoopla on the market. Um, we used to use Property B till it went down. Um, mouse price, net house prices, um, and to track all our portfolio, we use Landlord Vision um, as a, as a CRM system for all our properties. Landlord Vision, okay, I haven't heard of that one. I'll, I'll put a note to that in the in the system. And does that allow you to? Is that only for managing the ones in your portfolio or is it for tracking ones you're offering on as well? Um, only managing what's in our portfolio, really. Okay, that's quite interesting. I'll put a link in the, in the notes for everyone to, to have a look at it. Um, and, you know, while we were talking just off um, the recording, you mentioned Homes Under the Hammer. So you're now going to be a famous TV star. So um, yes. t- tell us about that and that deal in particular and why, why they're getting you on. Yeah, so we, we went to the auction. Um, we finished in the same auction. We bought two houses, one of them a lot of work, one of them not a lot of work. Um, as it happens, the one that wasn't a lot of work was the better deal. Um, but because there wasn't a lot of work, they didn't want to film that one. Um, so we, we bought a house in Neath. Um, from memory, I think we paid 45 for it. Um, I think we're going to spend six, £7,000 doing the house up. Um, end volume is going to be pessimistic 75, um, optimistic 85. So we're, we're banking around £80,000. Um, again, it's just going to be a little rental. Um, we won't run around the corner, so it'll probably rent for 
four nine five a month. Um, mortgage costs on that when it's finished will be probably one hundred eighty six pounds a month for the mortgage. So again, another two three hundred pound a month income, and that should should be more or less all of our money back out. Wow, that's an awesome deal. And when you were bidding on that at the auction, did it have did it have much interest? Were you kind of competing? Yeah, there, there was a, there was a few. Um, we we had our ceiling on it. Um, if if I'm honest, we probably paid one two thousand pounds more than we wanted to, as the perfect price for it. Um, but when we go to auction, we always have this is ideal what we'd want for it. So anything less than that is a bonus. But what's the maximum we're willing to go for? And we we don't go over that maximum. We we walk away. Okay, I like that. Cool. And actually, the auctions that we go to are really interesting because I, I I met someone there. Well, not I didn't meet them. I met them through Instagram. They followed me afterwards, and we got talking. And he's like got I don't know, like thirty, forty properties across the country. He's got thousands of properties in his management thing. So another note is that when you go to auctions, you could meet some pretty awesome people there, or even some people who like would invest in you because they go to auction. And they're like, oh my god, this is too much. I don't know what to do with this money. And you can say, look. You know, not not obviously when you first meet them, but there's potential for you to meet people there. And, you know, especially if you're standing at the back, you know, to say hi to people and, and network. Yes, some people are going to say, don't talk to me. I'm, I'm busy. I'm in the middle of something. But there's more than just the potential to buy something there. Right. So, John, we reached the last part of the podcast now. And this is the quick fire round. So I'm going to hit you with three times three questions. Right. So I'm putting you on the spot here. So. What are the biggest three mistakes that you've made in property? Um, don't think you can do it cheaper. Um, prove you can do it cheaper by getting prices first. Um, don't look at a roof in the dark, as, as we said earlier. Um, and don't massage your figures. I, I think that, and that, that for me, is the, 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 was the biggest learning curve for me. Is you, you go into a property oh, well, a kitchen's going to cost a grand and a half and a bathroom's going to cost a grand and tiling's going to cost £500 and painting's going to be two grand. And realistically, it's not. You've still got the fitting of it. You've still got the finishing touches of it. You've still got the extra little bit. So know your figures and don't don't massage them to fit the deal. Okay. And, and then I guess sort of similar to that, are what are top three tips for people who are new in property? Due diligence... I'd say due diligence and due diligence and don't listen to everything you see on Facebook. <laughs> Good. The last one is important. And lastly, what are your top three goals for the future? And this could be personal, this could be career, it could be travel, anything. Um, so I, I've, I've actually got my plans. I, I know where I want to be. Um, I'm 41 this year. I've, I've got nine years left of my plan. Um, by the time I'm 50, I want to be retired completely. Um, and I don't just want to be retired for the sake of doing nothing. I want the power to be able to retire and not have to work, um, but not to have financial freedom, to have financial abundance. So I've got more more money that I need. So I, I can enjoy myself. If I want to do something for charity, I can go and do that. I love traveling like yourself. Um, so we always go on four or five holidays a year at the moment. I'd like to do more of that. Um and, and do more new build. I'd, I'd like to do. I'd like to do more more new build because I I think it's the way to go. Yeah, 
Awesome. I love that, John. Thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast. Uh, no, we, thank you for having me. No, not a problem. We need to meet, so we'll speak offline about this, because I, di- I didn't know you actually lived in Neath, because I'm like there once a week, so um, we definitely need to hook this up. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, I'll put your website in, in the um, in the show notes, but is there a particular way that people can get hold of you if they have any questions? Yeah. Um, on, on Facebook, um, contact me on Facebook, send me a message, um, or give me a call. Awesome, John. Thank you again. No problem. Thank you for your time. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.